everyone. I'm your host, Lacey Cruz, and this is Through the Fire, an NPBC podcast. On this episode, we're finishing out our Hebrew study by going through Hebrews chapters 11 to 13. Without further ado, let's jump in. So we're still in, just like we were last week, the third big overarching section, which is chapter 10, verse 19 to chapter 12, verse 29. And it's a call to faith and endurance. So we have a couple more sections in here. And then we're going to go to the last section and finish it out. So the first subsection that we're going to go over today is chapter 11. All of chapter 11. All 40 verses. And it's just by faith. Or in some versions it's called the hall of faith. Stick with me because we're going to read all 40 verses But let's jump into that. Okay, here we go. Verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed the ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. 
By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea, as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking, flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Okay, so let's go back to verse 1. Verse 1 defines the faith that was described in chapter 10, verse 39. So let me read verse 39 of chapter 10 and then verse 1 of chapter 11. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Verse 3 corrects beliefs at the time about creation, saying it's not matter connecting that created something new. Creation was done through God's words, not matter that already existed. Verse 4 talks about Abel's sacrifice and how it was acceptable. It says he was commended as righteous. It's very important to note here that his faith saved him before God appeared to Abraham or to Moses. God was already at work before Abraham, even though we see him as the father we see him as you know the the one that the promise was given to and Moses as the one that the old covenant was given to 
But even before either of them appeared on the scene, Abel was the first one that was commended as righteous. When it says he still speaks here, his story of faith still speaks to people. That's all that that really means. Verses 5 and 6 talks about Enoch and how he pleased God and did not die but was taken up. That's a good trivia question for everyone for Bible trivia. Verse 7 talks about Noah and how he was called righteous after building the ark because he had full faith in the Lord's instructions and warnings. When rain had never been seen on the earth before, he still followed exactly what God told him to do and trusted fully in that. Verses 8 to 12 is about Abraham and how he obeyed by faith and Sarah believed by faith. Verses 13 to 16 says that these people were faithful even though they never got to see the promises fully fulfilled and they were seeking out the home that God promised them. Verses 17 to 22 talks about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph and how they all lived by faith as shown in these examples. Verses 23 and 28 says that Moses' parents acted in faith by hiding Moses and Moses acted in faith by refusing his sinful privileges of Egypt leading the people from Egypt with no fear of Pharaoh and keeping the Passover. Then there's a few others listed off here. Verse 29 says that the Israelites crossed the Red Sea by faith. Verse 30 says that the walls of Jericho fell because of their faith. Verse 31 says Rahab welcomed the spies by faith. And then verses 32 to 38 the author says that there's not enough time to mention all of these different people that lived by faith. But he lists a few others who lived by faith in their accomplishments. Verses 39 to 40 basically says these people didn't receive the fulfillment of all of God's promises, which we know included the Messiah. It says, apart from us, they should not be made perfect, meaning they will receive the same reward as us, perfection, because we have the Messiah. The last subsection over that third big overarching section is chapter 12, and that is endurance until the kingdom fully comes. So verses 1 and 2 talk about Jesus being the founder and protector of our faith. So let me read those two verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So basically, in light of the cloud of witnesses just described in chapter 11, we must endure in our Christian lives as Christ endured the cross for us. Now let's look at verses 3 to 17, which talks about Christians not growing weary. Let's read that together. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. 
It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we all have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our own good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit his blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So basically, Jesus endured, so we don't have to grow weary, as verse 3 tells us. Verses 5 and 6 quotes Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12, saying his discipline on us proves that he sees us as his sons and daughters. Verses 10 to 11 gives us the purpose of God's discipline, which is to yield righteousness. Verses 12 and 13 says that we have to keep enduring, and it's using poetic language from the Old Testament to get that point across. Verses 14 to 17 says that as peace and holiness are pursued, Christians are to be sure those around them accept Christ, and they don't grow bitter or sexually immoral. Esau is given as an example here of someone who didn't care for the inheritance given to him freely, which is meant to serve as a warning that all should accept the inheritance Christ freely gives to us. Verses 18 to 29 talk about a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So let's look at that now. Verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth. 
But now he has promised yet one more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet one more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So verses 18 to 21 describe the experience on Mount Sinai. And it says that it was great and powerful, but it was also provoking fear. This is where they received the old covenant. Verses 22 to 24 talks about the new covenant and says that it's even greater than the old. Abel's blood cried out for vengeance from the ground, but Jesus' blood brings something better, forgiveness and atonement. Verse 25, the author calls for a response of faith. The Exodus generation did not escape when they refused Moses. So we have to respond with faith to Jesus. Verses 26 to 29, both those on the earth and those in the heavens will be judged, so the eternal can reign. Christians should be grateful for that arrival of Jesus' eternal kingdom. Now we're finally to the last overarching section in the book of Hebrews, and we're on the last chapter. And it's just chapter 13 where the author gives concluding exhortations and remarks. So let's read verses 1 to 19, which talks about sacrifices pleasing to God. Verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Verses 2 to 
Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. So verses 1 to 6 lists off a few things believers should be doing. Loving their brothers and sisters in the church. Hosting and caring for visitors or travelers. Caring for believers in prison, which usually happened because of their faith. Honoring marriage. Staying away from the love of money. And being content because God will never leave or forsake us. Verses 7 to 14, the author gives a reminder to imitate the faith of those who came before us, remembering their teachings so that we don't stray to false teachings. An example of false teaching given here is about food doctrines from the Old Testament. The author says that the Christian altar, which he means as Christ's sacrifice, is so much better than the food doctrines of the Old Testament. Verses 15 to 19, the author gives another list of things that Christians should be doing. Praising God, doing good, sharing what you have, obeying and submitting to your leaders with joy, and praying for our leaders, which here is the author. The last little section in the book of Hebrews, we're finally here is the benediction and the final greetings in verses 20 to 25. Verse 20, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. So as in most New Testament letters, the author blesses the readers and gives greetings Uh, that he's passing along to different people, um, giving news of different people's releases, like here, Timothy from prison. So that concludes our Hebrew study. I hope that you just sit for a moment in this study and really think about what have you learned and how can you apply it. Because all of this knowledge is great and it's helpful, but if we don't actually let it sink into our hearts and apply it to our lives, that knowledge is worthless. So I pray through this study that you grow closer to Christ and apply everything that you've learned so far. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed our Hebrew study. You can find me on Instagram anytime at Building Lois Ministries, and that's Lois, L-O-I-S. If you need me, comments will get my attention much faster than DMs. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you guys next week.